Welcome to Conversations with Mayi Lenz. That's me. I'm your host, a photographer obsessed with helping women lead unapologetically. On this show, you will hear not only from me, but from other amazing women who inspire me and are making a difference in the community. What does that mean, leading unapologetically? To me, it's leading from a place of authenticity without apologies. In other words, not seeking approval for being yourself, what you care for, and value. My goal with this podcast is to inspire and help women develop powerful confidence in themselves and recognize the value we bring to the community and the world as a whole. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, entrepreneur, pursuing a career, or growing your business, we are here to build each other up. Let's learn and grow together. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. If you're new here, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the show that empowers women to lead unapologetically. Today, we're going to be talking about how to cultivate high-performing relationships with Dr. Alexandra Stockwell. She's a marriage expert who specializes in coaching couples to build beautiful long-lasting, passionate relationships. She is the best-selling author of Uncompromising Intimacy, host of the Intimate Marriage Podcast, and creator of the Aligned and Hot Marriage Program. Ooh, that sounds really interesting. Hello, Dr. Alexandra. So good to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here and see what magic we make. I am so excited. And now that you said magic, I usually tell people how to pronounce my nickname. And I always say magic, but without the C. So let's oh. create some magic. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. You are known as the intimacy doctor. Why did you transition from practicing medicine to becoming an intimate marriage expert? You know, as you can imagine, I'm asked this question a lot, and I can talk about it as this clear, linear path. It makes so much sense. But really what's relevant is what Steve Jobs said, which is that you can only connect the dots in hindsight. So while I was making the transition, I didn't even know I was making the transition. It was more that I was in my mid-30s. I had my own small medical practice north of Boston. I was married. I've now been married 26 years, but at wow. that time it was for less time. And we have four children. At the time we had three and I'd paid my medical school loans off. I'd worked really hard to get to this point. And I just assumed that I would have some sense of satisfaction. It wasn't even that specific. And I always loved practicing medicine. That was never the issue. But there was just something deep inside at the level of a whisper where I realized I had worked this hard, but it wasn't for how it turned out. I don't know how to say it more because I wasn't burned out. I wasn't sick. I didn't, I, it was really at the level of a whisper, but the main thing is that I knew that if I continued going forward the way I expected to for another, for another three or four decades, that I would end up somewhere I never meant to be. So it was, it was like the, the smallest 
turn in the road, but I could see it was going to take me to another destination than the one I had intended. So first of all, it of course takes courage not to just ignore this kind of internal message, if you will. And there were a few other things that contributed. One is that at the time, my oldest child, my girl, turned nine. And on her ninth birthday, I had this experience where I saw how joyful and vibrant and empowered and just self-expressed and internally harmonious and just true to herself she was. And I was, of course, so happy, so glad to celebrate her birthday. And internally, I simultaneously, without anybody else noticing, was freaking out because I went in my mind back to when I was nine and what was going on in my life. And I saw for the first time that because of things that occurred in my childhood, I had disconnected from a vibrancy and I hadn't appreciated that I hadn't really reconnected to that, except in the face of my daughter's self-expression, I saw the contrast and I realized if she was going to live at home with me another nine years, there's no way that she could continue to be so vibrant and true to herself and responsive and expressive in I mean, she's not a chaotic person. She's a, she's a beautiful artist that if I was more deflated, if I didn't really enjoy what it is to be a woman in a woman's body, having the experiences I have, that it would be inevitable that she would end up turning down her own radiance and vibrancy. So as to be more comfortable in a home where I wasn't that way. So I felt like all these different things converged. And also my mother died at this time, which I was very close with her and it really cracked me open. And suddenly all of my life was different than I had anticipated. So these three things, my experience that professionally, I was not where I thought I would be, not because I was behind. It just was a different flavor. And this witnessing of my daughter and my mother dying. And suddenly, instead of being on a path with the next steps laid out, I found myself internally in brand new territory. So there's more to the story, but I'll pause there. Wow. So you think your spirit was trying to express itself in a different, in a different yeah. way. What type of a doctor are, are, were you at the time? Is it a family I'm doctor? A family medicine doctor. I mean, and I've always cared a lot about social interactions and relationships, whether it's doctor patient or familial relationships. And I, was aware of how being sick really changes relationships and being a caretaker changes relationships. So I was yes. always very attuned to these things. And yes, in hindsight, I can say my soul was wanting to get my attention. And so these three things converged. And while my soul wanted to express in another way, you've 
articulated it so tenderly and truthfully, all I really knew was that the way it was expressed was no longer aligned or attuned for me. But that did not then immediately reveal what would be. Like this this opening really was to questions instead of certainty. It wasn't an opening to a new vision. So what I arranged when I realized this very quiet but growing voice was not going to just pass if I went to sleep and I woke up, it was going to be gone. It wasn't going to be like that. So I arranged to take a sabbatical. And I still, of course, have plenty of responsibilities, three children, a husband, a house, various contributions and things I needed to do. But the time that I did have, really for the first time in my adulthood, I gave myself permission to do things just because I felt like it. To explore. To explore and not need to have a good reason, not need to do something as a means to some important ends, but just because I felt like it. So I sat by the river, I took a painting class. I did various things. I took a dance class, something I hadn't done in years. And one thing led to another, and I ended up joining some women's circles and doing spiritual training. And I really did feel like I learned how to listen so my soul could express itself in new ways. I really love that phrasing that you brought. And at some point, really, the last remaining frontier for me to transform, to find how I wanted to be, to give and receive more, was in the realm of sensuality and sexuality, both personally and in my marriage. And so I did a very in-depth training in sensuality and sexuality, which doubled as a coach training. But at the time, I didn't know what a coach was. That's not why I entered the training. I entered the training because I felt like I know my anatomy, I know my physiology, I love my husband, I care how I feel, I'm open, but I just didn't really know how to enjoy being a human being in a woman's body. And like we were having sex, but it was more functional. I mean, it it, it wasn't bad sex, but it was nothing like the poets write about it. I didn't right. feel like in the close. movies. <laughs> well, depending on which movies. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> it's more that I didn't feel closer to my husband. Like I didn't feel necessarily disconnected, but I just didn't feel it was a, an opening. It, it, we weren't using our bodies to access something uniquely available in sensuality and sexuality. And I wanted, wanted to know how to do that. I wanted to have that be a part of my life. And so I was at this training to get to know myself better and learn how to, what to bring home to the bedroom. And I'm curious, I've always been interested in educational models. So I went to the teaching lab just to see, okay, what's this about? 
And I knew I'd come home professionally and that this was the direction where I could take all of my medical skills, but serve in another way, going very deep with fewer people and have a kind of creativity and freedom to really customize how I work with people based on what their souls and bodies want to be expressing. Yeah. And something very interesting that you just said, um, you brought your skills from, you know, the medicine at yours when you went to school for to be a doctor, to become a doctor, and all those skills, you use them to now translate what you were learning, if I might say. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about the high performing, right? What is high performing in relationships? Because you teach that a lot. We know that in, in business, as a small business owner or entrepreneurs, or maybe in sports as well, it refers to succeeding beyond your standard norms consistently, right, over time or long term. But what does it really mean in relationships? Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Absolutely. I love the question. And let me first say a little bit about the challenges for someone who is high performing in other areas in life, professionally, maybe in terms of being an athlete or um, personal finance, which, which I'm distinguishing from profession. In all of those areas, first of all, we have good role models, right. whether it's some sport or being an entrepreneur or being an influencer of, of any kind, we have good role models. And for the most part, we do not have really good role models when it comes to relationships, either personally or in the culture in general. There might be a little bit of this or that that we admire in someone else's relationship, but how relevant it is for your own, it's often not so much. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that anyone who is a high performer has learned how to be really good with problem solving. You identify what the issue is, you know what you desire, and you know how to close the gap. A high performer does not expect to have success with everything they do, but they expect to overall have success because when challenges arise, you figure out how to navigate them and it's just part of the process. But when it comes to relationships, for someone who's high performing, it can be really devastating, even if they don't feel that way about it, but they devastating in the sense that they just avoid it. Because when it comes to relationships, when you perceive a problem, you can't use the same skill set that you're used to using everywhere else in your life. Relationships don't work that way. You can't just identify the problem, figure it out. Oh, well, maybe if we do this, or maybe if we go on a date night once a week, or maybe if we use first person when we express our feelings, like there are lots and lots of formulas but that does not a high performance relationship make. Those are kind of superficial behavior modifications, which are great if you have a, a toxic relationship or you really are fighting a lot. But when basically you have 
what I tend to describe as a passion, conflict-free, passion-free relationship. That's the not high-performing relationship, but it's the good enough relationship for most people. Then how do you take that and make it vibrant and passionate and intimate and nourishing and a place of both leadership and receiving? There really are very few answers for that. So I just want to say this, this question is an important one. The other thing I'll say is that having a fantastic relationship is a learnable skill. So even though the usual problem-solving skills don't necessarily help, it is absolutely something that can be learned. And the main reason that most people don't have fantastic relationships is because they've never had the education. And the education itself is not like typical problem-solving. It is much more a shift from an attitude of doing, getting things done, to more focus on the way of being. What I think of as a high-performance relationship is a growth-oriented relationship where it is understood that each individual is both full and evolving and growing and learning new things about themselves in the world. And you can share that, bring that growth, bring that evolution, bring the challenges and the desires into the relationship as fuel to deepen connection and grow in new ways together. I'm really describing a way of being with one another and what that results in is the ability to trust one another, to know oneself and reveal it to one's partner and feel seen and heard, to learn how to touch and be touched in ways that impact the soul and definitely impact the body. Really a high performance relationship can fuel everything else in life because when you know that the person you're closest to is your biggest fan and has your back, it gives you courage to navigate all kinds of things in life that it's hard to imagine unless you already have that. Yeah, very interesting. Um, you mentioned uh, personal growth. And for someone that it's so, let's say we have a couple and one of them, it's big on um, learning and growing. And maybe the other person is just like, like you were saying, uh, bah, right? So what is something that um, it can easily be, easily be implemented on both sides and that maybe one can, um, how would I say that? If the other person is not, on board, let's say, because I've hear that a lot. Oh, my wife is not. And I was having this conversation with, with somebody um, not too long ago. Uh, my wife doesn't understand that being an entrepreneur, let's say, or a small business owner, um, it takes a lot of my time. And I hear that a lot in women also. And I know how difficult it is, especially when we are when we have children. So what is something that we can if I was to get a pen, a notepad and and a you know a pen and write down this are some of the steps that 
you can positive affect your relationships right now what will be some of those steps to implement yeah i'll i'll answer and there really are two different things you've brought up one is someone who's an entrepreneur working all the time that is a very familiar situation for me i mean with my clients and then the other is when one person is really into personal growth and the other one isn't. And right. so I want to address both. And actually the situation where one person is into personal growth and the other isn't is a very widespread phenomenon. My podcast, the Intimate Marriage Podcast, one of my most listened to episodes is called When Your Partner Isn't Into Personal Growth. Like this is something that people encounter. So let me just say, if if that's your situation, you're listening and this really speaks to you, then have a listen to that episode on the Intimate Marriage Podcast called When Your Partner Isn't Into Personal Growth. The bottom line when that's the case is that if you're annoyed by your partner's lack of personal growth, that is pointing you to more personal growth for you to do. Mm. Because what is often happening there, especially... Sometimes it's the man who's into personal growth in a heteronormative relationship and his wife isn't, but more often it's the other way. And when a woman is into personal growth and feels her husband isn't, that is invariably because she thinks personal growth needs to look the way she does. If her personal growth journey, if she was in corporate America and now she's... um, pursuing something else in business that's entrepreneurial and she's connecting with people in a meaningful way and she feels very on purpose. And her journey started with yoga and then going on retreats in Bali or Miami or whatever it is, then very often she thinks, well, he needs to do yoga in order to open his soul, he's, he needs to do yoga or she's gone to Tony Robbins. He's got to go to Tony Robbins or that sounds she, like me. Yeah. Or she's read whatever book and she wants him to read that book. But that's not how it is. It's possible that such a woman is married to a man and his personal growth comes from going fishing. And just having the peace and quiet in nature by himself or with one other person without talking for, you know, I don't know how long. And that is what nourishes his soul. But if she's clear that personal growth looks a certain way, you have to take classes, you have to read books, you have to talk with people, get coaching, whatever it is. He's going to shut down and not be able to share whatever personal growth is underway. So when I talk to couples in this situation, it's very common where the woman will say, well, he's not interested in coaching. He's not interested in personal growth. I don't think he's going to want to work with you, although I really would love to. And I say, okay, well, ask him if he's open to a 15-minute conversation with me. And that's all he would be committing to. And they don't always say yes, but 100% of the time when they do say yes, they'll have a conversation with me. They then are interested in exploring working together because 
they actually feel a sense of relief that they don't have to do it exactly how their woman is doing it. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is funny, but it's also, it can be very tragic because a woman in this situation really wants the best for both of them. It's, it's very frustrating to want your partner to grow for their own sake and yours, and you think it's not happening. Right. But again, if it is, if you're feeling this way, it's pointing you to your area of growth to accept how things are. And often your acceptance is actually what makes possible more growth within the relationship. The key, the thing that I recommend in this situation, really for anyone in any situation other than the toxic relationship, if you want more passion, more connection, more vibrancy and vitality in your relationship, the place to start is by cultivating curiosity. Because if you think back to the feeling of being in love and that excitement, we are filled with questions. Where is that scar from? Where were you born? What countries have you traveled to? What is your favorite movie? spiritual questions. What kind of vegetables do you like to eat? I mean, we just can't get enough. <laughs> and even when we're not with our person, we're thinking about things we want to know about them. But then everything becomes familiar. We enjoy knowing what our partner's answers are. Things are stable. It's very lovely. And that familiarity is one of the beautiful benefits of being in a long-lasting relationship. However, not if it comes at the cost of being curious. So just being curious about who your partner is, what they're thinking, will lead you to become more curious about yourself as well. And the key is to ask open-ended questions, questions where there's not a single right answer. If the answer is yes or no, or when the answer is given, you think it's not a good one, then it's not an open-ended question. Yeah, and it will only lead to frustration. And it's true what you said about when we are curious about, you know, the world around us, they will actually follow. Totally. Yeah. And you make it more fun. Instead of meeting your partner with judgment, you meet them with fun and magnetism and confidence and warmth and inclusion, then they'll start showing sides of themselves that you haven't seen in a long time, if ever. And I think that's one of the biggest issues in relationships is that we think, well, if my partner were different, if my partner would just be this way, if my partner would just say that or not be this way or not say that, then it would be so much better. If you're listening and you want to take your relationship to the next level, you go first. Don't wait for your partner to go first. You go first and up-level how it is to be with you. And most likely, you'll find your partner up-leveling too. And if not, that's useful information as well. Right. Do you think that's why there's... Um a higher level of um, marriage ending? That's a, a very intricate, complex conversation. 
right now the highest incidence of divorce, the percentage of couples getting divorced is actually among couples who've been married for more than 30 years, couples in their 60s and 70s. Wow. It used to be younger couples, but younger people as a trend are waiting to get married. So inherently they're not right. getting divorced. Yeah. So I'll tell you my thought about that is Throughout the Western world, the most common relationship advice that's given to everybody is that you need to learn to compromise. If you want a great marriage, you have to be good at compromise. I've, I've said this and had people pull out wedding cards they've received, you know, written by Hallmark about the importance of compromise. And somebody thought that was the most important message and purchased it to give them. This is a very common idea in society. You just got to be good at compromise if you want to be happy. That is just completely false. If you want a bland, pleasant companionship, compromise is a great way to create that. But if what you want is a dynamic, passionate, intimate, connected relationship, then it's essential to be uncompromising. The name of my book is Uncompromising Intimacy. And what I'm really getting at is uncompromising, not in the sense that you always get your own way. That is not what I'm saying. But where compromise is basically where you hold back who you are, your desires, your internal experience, what you're really feeling in life, you hold that back so your partner can be more comfortable. I'm saying it in a grand way. It can even just be what restaurant you want to go to for dinner. You don't share what is real for you so your partner can be more comfortable. You don't want them to have to navigate any kind of discord. But when it comes to being uncompromising, I am talking about learning to bring all of who you are, your desires, your feelings, what restaurant you want to go to, where you want to live, the conversation topics you want, bring them to the relationship in such a way that your partner can hear them. Because really the high-performing relationship is one where you can say anything and you can be anything with your partner. And that is actually the key to lasting passion and intimacy, because if we are essentially amputating parts of ourselves through compromise, not allowing them to be a part of the relationship, then it becomes dehydrated. The passion dwindles off and the conversations just feel familiar. But if we learn to bring all of ourselves to it, then yes, who would want to leave a marriage like that? Right. This will be a huge topic. So this I will not cover on this podcast. I might bring you back to talk about body image. I'm a photographer okay. and, and this is something that I really love, love learning more about because I'm always discovering my body, my client's body, you know, how do they, um, they express themselves. Yeah, I'd love but, to have that conversation because that's 
that's a beautiful comment after I talk about uncompromising intimacy, because of course with body image, we could in this conversation say it's a way of wanting to hide. Right. This is something that affects not only your relationships intimately, but also with the world. It's why women hide from, and not only women. Oh, definitely not only women. Yes. Okay. Well, for this conversation, what I'll say is that when you cultivate curiosity in relation to someone else, you naturally become more curious about yourself and your own process. It's just a natural thing that occurs. And when it comes to body image and self-expression, one of the main things that needs to happen is that we pay attention to our own experience rather than what we're going to look like to our partner or anybody else in the world. So there's a way in which this topic relates very well to compromise and being uncompromising because in the case of compromise, we're holding back who we are so that we don't seem some way that we think isn't going to work for our partner. And with body image, that same principle drives a lot, whether it's based on something somebody else has said or general societal conditioning, whatever the context, in a way, at least in this moment, it doesn't matter. What matters is that if you have issues with your own body image, you are prioritizing somebody else's supposed view and judgments of you over your own experience being inside your own body. And that is not actually ever going to serve you. So the journey that I described going on when I realized how vibrant and alive my daughter was and the journey that in ver- I talk about it in different ways, but the journey that any couple goes through to be more intimate involves each individual valuing their own experience in their soul, in their body, in their mind, in their heart, in their genitals, more than valuing what it's going to be like for somebody else. And this really is one of the things that also restricts pleasure because most of us as women making love with men and many, many men as well, but more so women. Like if we're going to touch our partner, we're doing it with an eye to what their pleasure is going to be rather than touching any part of a man's body for our pleasure, which then also gives them pleasure. Right. But it's like, instead of, being service-oriented, we can be experience-oriented, like pay attention to our own experience. So that's probably what I would say about body image right now. I love it. That was amazing. And yes, this is, you know, like a topic that not many women like to talk about. (laughs) They like to listen, but not talk about their experience. Well, I love talking about it because... If you get anything and implement it, like it's small changes in this realm that create big, beautiful results. 
Yeah. And, and something just, just to uh, put a little more into what you just said about, you know, touching your partner, um, and in a way that gives pleasure to you as well, it changes everything. It changes everything. And it can feel scary to try it. But if you like the idea, you're listening and you like the idea, I want to assure you that any man that I have ever spoken to professionally or personally who's experienced what it's like for a woman even just to hold his hand for her own pleasure, but certainly any other more explicit activity, that's what he wants. He'll Mm. take a woman who is enjoying herself over a woman with expert technique because it feels better. And what we're talking about is how it feels. My, wow, I love that. (laughs) I love it. And with that, I'm going to switch it up a little. Being unapologetically you to me means being true to who you are and what you believe in. In other words, not seeking approval for being yourself in order to blend in. And I think we cover a little bit of of the perceptions of other people. For sure, yes. What was something that you stopped apologizing for that helped you level up in your business or in your practice? Just plain not apologizing. And... Honestly, I don't remember exactly when that change happened, but two of my children were in Israel this past summer, and both, well, my older child observed that women in Israel do not apologize, and because she was in that environment and she realized There were all kinds of things that occurred that she and her friends would have apologized for in the United States, and that in Israel, it was just clear it didn't occur to the women to apologize for those things. And so she found that very remarkable. And then she talked to my son, who was in Israel, who said, you know, mom is actually a closet Israeli. I've never even been to Israel, but he's like, (laughs) she's just like Israeli women. And my daughter said, how do you mean? She said, well, you know, like she, she corrects her mistakes, but she doesn't apologize when she didn't do anything wrong. So I guess my answer is less about a specific thing that I was apologizing for and more that I, at some point, and I don't remember what, uh, stimulated it, just started paying attention to my speech patterns and noticed that I was apologizing a lot and just internally trained myself to delete the apologies, which resulted in communicating with other people differently. But the thing that was most exciting for me is it changed how I feel inside. Not apologizing feels like spaciousness, self-acceptance, decluttering communication. And if I do something that's a mistake, I have no problem apologizing for it. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are times when I would have just apologized because of how things occurred when I didn't make them that way. 
<laughs> and I don't apologize for that anymore, ever. Yeah, I love that. Yes. It's like an example is, you know, it's raining. Many women are likely to say when the, a, a guest arrives, oh, I'm sorry, it's raining. I am not right. going <laughs> to apologize for the rain. I will apologize if dinner was supposed to be ready at six and it's not ready till seven, but not even that much. Yes. I love it. Alexandra, thank you so much for all the knowledge that you share with us today. Where can people connect with you and learn more about what you do? Come find me at alexandrastockwell.com. And from there, you can find links to the Intimate Marriage Podcast, links to my book. You can follow me on social media. Feel free to DM me if anything I've said sparks a conversation for you. Uh, but anyway, it's all at alexandrastockwell.com as well as my various programs and ways to work with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and family and consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or tell us what you think on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at MyYeLens and on Facebook page, Conversations with Maggie Lenz. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. Until next time, talk to you soon.